Welcome back to Cricket Central, the podcast where we discuss all the stories, big and small. Uh, it's the pink test, uh, the Sydney test, or the, the rain test, um, as it's really been in the last few years, and it's lived up um, to that reputation this year, unfortunately, so far, with uh, a fair amount of cricket off for rain, but one it has been on, um, it's been quite entertaining viewing for the Australians. Um, Australia now four for 475 of 131 overs. South Africa just being ground into the Sydney mud um, at the moment uh, with Usman Khawaja not out overnight on 195. Steve Smith uh, brought up his 30th test ton um, with 104 of 192 today. Uh, that takes him to the third most uh, for an Australian um, and also to the fourth most runs. Uh, Marnus Labashane yesterday, obviously, with 79. And then Travis Head just sort of showing if, if there was any question um, of who was on top of this match, well, then um, Travis Head really uh, made clear it could only be the Australians with 70 or 59 um, today. Also, we didn't have a podcast yesterday, but I'm here with Ethan to discuss both day one and day two's action. And uh, Ethan... Um, well, there's still been plenty of talking points from this match, even before the match started, uh, with three changes for the Australians. And sort of we we knew the names who were likely to go in and to, to get in. And you'll probably have to say uh, Agar and Renshaw were the two most likely names. But I, for one, was a, a bit surprised on how they do it. I thought they were sort of competing for that sixth spot. Um, and then it would be Hazelwood, obviously, who did come in and potentially Lance Morris um, to take the other same spot uh, over Bolland. Uh, but in the end, it was Agar and Renshaw um, who joined Hazelwood to be brought into the team. Maybe we'll just start off with that. What did you think of that move? I wasn't the biggest the biggest fan of it. I, I liked... Well, I think Agar was always going to play given that this Sydney pitch and its reputation. South Africa also went with two spinners. But to me... You know, the, the issue against the South African lineup and our our issue really across the summer, not, not that it's been much of an issue, has not been batting. I mean, we've we've posted scores in 400, 500, 600, and Cam Green, who's been batting six, has barely had anything to do. So I, I did find it odd that we were, would play Matt Renshaw as a specialist bat at six. Um, and, I mean, the game's pretty much already gone in terms of batting's concerned and he's on five, not out. Um, so I, I was surprised by that. I would have preferred the five bowlers approach because it's going to be a lot of workload on on the four bowlers we do have, and we don't have that established all rounder in the side now that Cam Grant's gone. So I think we're really reliant on Nathan Lyon to probably get the bulk of the wickets here um, on on this deck. Thankfully that we are batting second on, so hopefully we'll continue to turn and or turn a bit more as the test progresses. Um, but I, I was surprised that Renshaw was. Put back into the side. Um, I, I think it's un unclear how he really retains any spot as well. Um, and batting him at six when arguably his career is as an opener was, was an interesting call. But it, it'll be good that he's got the chance now. It's been quite a, a unique and strange test for him having COVID and being so secluded from the group. Um, but I, I think Australia will have to really bowl well and back themselves to keep South Africa to under really 200, 300, because with only four specialist bowlers, it might be a lot of spin. And if South Africa can 
manage that, then they, they might have a chance of offering some resistance. Yeah, yeah. It almost felt with the selections that um, they sort of knew who they wanted to get in the team and then sort of just made up a way to get them in, even if it wasn't sort of the, the best setup of the day. Um, and I think a few people were commenting online that it sort of just tells you uh, all you really need to know about this series that they make these changes. Um, as you've spoken about, not quite the perfect changes you wouldn't think, but they're still definitely favourites in the match. And after the first innings, uh, even more so. Uh, but there was a fair bit of action um, yesterday or, or drama, uh, should I say. Uh, the big talking point, um, well, first start off, uh, fairly good first session actually by South Africa. No, I only got the one wicket of Warner, but um, I think you commented yourself that at one point that Rabada had remembered how to bowl. Um, uh, maybe maybe he's forgotten, <laughs> forgotten again today a little bit, but um, for a while there, it was looking quite promising. Norkia, some other good spells. Um, uh, but really, it was that third hour, I think it was, the Australians piled on 70 runs um, with Labashain. Uh, and Kawaja and just as is so often there's been patches of South Africa looking like they're up for the fight but then the Australians just managed to, to get back on top fairly quickly when when that happens uh, but the big thing obviously was that Manus Labashain catch and it would be remiss of us not to to mention it so what was your view uh, off Janssen um, caught caught at slip I forget what it was um, the umpire's call the soft signal was out uh, but then overturned by Kettlebrough um, in the uh, upstairs. What did you think, Ethan? Yeah, it's it's a tough call. I initially watching that, I was surprised that they chose to overturn the soft signal. I think it would have been the safe the safe call and probably more acceptable call to just abide with the soft signal if there is any doubt. That, that being said, I, I think often they in cricket, they are a bit lenient on what constitutes hands on under the ball. Um, and, I mean, uh, I think a, a decent part of the ball there is, has hit hit the ground. So I, I'm not too fussed with that dismissal. Although, if you were probably strictly speaking by the book, I, I can also see there's a strong argument that since it's uncertain, you just stick with the uh, soft signal. And I'm, I'm curious to know what you thought. Yeah, well, it's the... Yeah, well, first I'll say I thought I thought it was out to be honest. Um, I mean, there's one angle that there might be uh, the the ball might be on the ground, and I think that was the one that Kettlebrough went by. But watching all the angles, I think it's more likely than not that it was a catch. But then I guess the question is, do you then give benefit of the, benefit of the doubt to the batsman? I saw some people saying, but then there's also the soft signal which gets involved um, if it's inconclusive. So. It is a rather complicated um, setup there, uh, but genuinely 50-50, I, I think you have to say. But I would, I would have called it out, I, I'd have to say. There yeah, I think you go with the soft signal in any case, yeah. Yeah, well, that's the thing because, um, yeah, obviously. It's not conclusively no. not out, is it? No, no, because that was the rule that, yeah, as you say, if it's inconclusive, well, then you just go to the soft signal. But then I was reading something that they – um, changed something about the law that it, it's sort of the soft signal has less power now. But then I, I couldn't work out what the actual change was. Uh, but that is something a lot of people mm. are calling for now for that soft signal to basically be got rid of and it just be down to the umpire. So, yeah, 
it's an interesting one. Um, but in the end, Manus, uh, his his luck ran out finally uh, by being out basically two balls before we went off for rain um, in bad conditions at the end. So, and I'd have to say I was a little bit relieved that uh, I was getting a bit sick of watching Manus bat. To be honest, I mean, at least uh, at least we had. It was Smith, uh, Kawaja and, and Smith today, uh, rather than Lowestown and Smith. So uh, that was good to see. Um, okay, well, moving on to um, today's uh, action. I was lucky enough to, to be there today. Um, and beautiful ground, the SCG. Great, great to watch cricket at. Um, feel really close to the action. It's good. But I've got to say, I've been there for two cricket matches now. The first was... Um, the South Africa-Pakistan T20 match in the T20 World Cup. And both matches, um, it's been raining. So, uh, yeah, Sydney needs to get their weather under control a little bit now. I also managed to get lost underneath one of the grandstands in this tunnel that seemed to just wind around everywhere. So it was an interesting day at the cricket. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, but if there was a bit of fight by the South Africans yesterday, um, well, I've got to say there wasn't much wasn't much well i mean they they tried hard that was the thing today there was criticism in the mcg test that some of their fields weren't quite aggressive enough um and you know they had sweepers out but i actually thought today they're potentially almost too aggressive but definitely um a lot of a uh, lot of close catches at times a lot of different plans um had an interesting plan to travis head when he came out where there was only three um on i think even two basically at one stage with like a gully on the offside um and then sort of angling it into his legs uh and um but well that didn't really work it just it seemed that anything they tried uh potentially could say the pitch it just didn't work what did you think uh went wrong for them today ethan yeah i, I like a side that has a couple of ideas even if they are abnormal and strange ideas i think Weird, weird fields and weird plans are either a side of a team that's, you know, t bringing the game forward and, and really trying to find a, a chance to really get ahead or a team that's, you know, been starved out in the field for 100 odd overs and are really hopeless. And I mean, it was probably a little bit of, of the latter today, but at least they're, they're you know, attempts to get, get wickets in, in some way at at times, you're right. It did feel it was just too easy for the Aussies to just pick off runs, and particularly against the spinners who have um, each now gone for over 100 runs each at a rate that exceeds 3.5 runs and over, which is really the opposite of what you needed, particularly on this Sydney wicket. There isn't a lot for the pace bowlers, but there is probably enough sometimes with a little bit of movement. And Gwaja had a couple of plays and misses. But, yeah, I, I think there were probably... A, a couple of five to six over spells where you felt that there might be a chance. Um, and aside from that, really, I, I guess with the, the some of these Australian batsmen, the form they're in, it's just about getting them to play a false or silly shot, as we've seen with both Smith and Head today. Um, and maybe an abnormal field is the way you manifest that. But yeah, certainly there was a positive weakness that Head had been strangled down the leg side. So I don't actually mind that as an avenue. And sometimes you find that having two or three fielders on the offside encourages the bowlers to bowl a little bit more straight, which I don't think is a bad idea to Travis Head also. So not not overall too bad. I think it's just bowlers that probably 
didn't really have much of a sniff at week. It's just going off very faint suspicions. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. The other interesting one I noticed was to Kawaja. I think it was I think it was Rabada. Um, they had a couple of slips and then a huge gap um, to Gully. Then they were sort of bowling it fairly short outside off stump and almost just letting him um, glide it down to the vacant third man. I think he actually scored two boundaries in, in two balls off it. But I guess the the thinking was uh, with a fairly new ball at that stage, that with the second new ball to try and make him try something a bit unnatural um, and maybe, as you say, buy a wicket. But really um, nothing, nothing, none of that worked at all. But I agree. Good to see some, good to see some ideas from the South Africans, even if it didn't pay off today. Uh, and really the pitch for me, uh, I it was, it's always the question of how much is the pitch and how much is just the batsman getting on top of the bowling. Um, and I think that the, the answer for me was when Norkia came on with that new ball, I think Smith on the third ball sort of just got on top of it and did a back foot drive through the covers. And that sort of suggests that, you know, there's not a huge amount of life in this pitch and it, it's pretty slow. So definitely not much to work with on that. Um, but I guess that that's when you you want the spinners um, to come into the game. Uh, and Simon Harmer brought into the team for Ngidi, um in this match to, to play that role is a highly highly um, touted bowler, um, has dominated the county for many years. Pearson's a huge fan of him. Uh, obviously, I think played one test in Manchester um, in the uh, English summer uh, against England um, this year, uh, last year. What did you think of him today, though, Ethan? I, I thought he was he largely out-bowled Maharaj for the bulk, bulk of this innings. Um, I think at one stage Maharaj was going at over four and he was going at under three. Um, and I I did feel that he often contributed to a couple of nice spells, um, particularly against Kawadra. I think there was a couple that, that spun uh, across the bat. But, yeah, it, it's been hard. There's been some turn, but it, I think it's been slow turn that the batsman could read and probably a little bit short as well. Too many runs were able to be punched off the back foot. Um, and, and when you have a left, and right-hand combination, as we had, who can rotate strike so easily. Uh, it's very, very hard for an off-spinner to build any sort of pressure. But, yeah, I think it, it, it did get a little bit loose at the end of the day, um, particularly when Travis Head got going. But overall, I, I think it's a, it's a struggle from the South African side. I think they expected a, a, a pitch that you know would hopefully turn as much as some of the ones that they have in South Africa where Maharaj and Hama occasionally open the bowling. But, yeah, it, it, well, it remains to be seen if there will be anything more in the third innings. But the issue is we might not even get to a third innings with how South Africa have been going. So I, I think the fact that no one's really managed to keep the runs down besides Nokia, that, that's been part of South Africa's downfall. It was, it was hard going early on. Uh, yesterday with Labashan and Kawaja having a bit of a toil, but today the runs did flow relatively easily for all the batsmen and very, very hard when the runs are ticking to mount any sort of pressure, which is how off spinners take their wickets. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the pressure is the key. And I thought with Harbour, I thought most of his balls were very good. You know, he was targeting sort of on-off stump, um, sort of just changing his lengths a bit there. But 
every now and then, or maybe even once and over, actually, he would sort of stray onto middle stump a little bit. And it seemed that that ball that was slightly off was very hittable and all the batsmen got on top of it a bit. And you, you just compare it to, to Nathan Lyon, who seems to, even when he does, um, you know, veer a bit straighter or uh, change his, his line a little bit, he very rarely seems to get hit at all. And he could still still keep that that pressure on, even with the sort of less, the balls that are slightly different, I guess. And uh, why do you think that is? I guess it's the, the big, big question. <laughs> but the, the thing for me is, and it seems to always be the case with spinners going to Australia, is the, the pace that they bowl at. Um, Harmer, for most of today, was going around the 80s, I, I think, um, perhaps a, a few a bit a bit quicker. And it's just the, the bounce off the pitch and the sort of, um, even the movement, sort of the drift through the air um, that Nathan Lyon gets so well and why he's been so successful in Australia, um, you just don't see, Harmer probably more so did it better than Maharaj, to be fair, um, but you just don't see that at all. And do you think that could be a reason why it just seems so easy to pick off those balls that are slightly off, off their lines and length? Yeah, it's, it's a good point you raised is, I mean, Classically, these spinners probably perform pretty well in outside conditions, particularly in the subcontinent, because they are more likely to turn the ball sideways, whereas Nathan Lyon's more of a bounce bowler. And sometimes if you do get a bit more bounce, you can afford to stray on the fuller side. Um, so that that might be a factor. And he does bowl a little bit quicker and get a little bit more purchase um, from, from these pitches. I think it also comes down to the intent from the batsmen as well. Australia always... Uh, they've become a team who's really looked to punish opposition spinners and get ahead of them. If you think back to the Ashes and what happened to Jack Leach and basically batted him out of the series in the first 10 overs that he bowled, whereas lots of teams are quite uh, timid, particularly against Nathan Lyon. Maybe it's the fielders around the bat that leads to that mindset. And really, you, you'll see a lot more of the just letting the ball hit the pad or, or just bunting it away on those uh, deliveries that do stray a little bit straight and you're right I think that that's a little bit to do with flight and bounce as well but a little bit to do with the, the batter's mindset and certainly if I think of the players who've really attacked him which is what the Indians do quite a lot of particularly mm -hmm. with Rishabh Pant's innings then they're the ones who've been able to get on top of him and really put the Aussies on the back foot yeah yeah that, that's true and yeah I guess the, the question is why more batsmen um, don't uh, attempt to do that but I guess it's also easier said than done, uh, but that uh, your answer there led on to the next thing we, we do have to discuss, which is just how good the Australian batsmen were. I mean, you can say what you want about South Africa's bowlers this tour, but um, all of the, the Australian batsmen on occasion have looked very good. And it was Kawaja's turn uh, over the last two days. Uh, just a, just a, a bit on uh, how good Kawaja was. Yeah, I was... I was uh, saying the other day, actually, I can't remember a, a summer where this many players have scored potential 200s. I mean, we've had Warner, Labuschagne, Smith. Kawaja is close. Head made 175 before he was run out. So I definitely can't remember a summer where the top five of all hit 200s, but the top four hitting 200s and then five and seven hitting 100 as well would be a, a pretty special summer in terms of the, the batting department. And... It's been pretty pretty well-rounded. Everyone sort of stood up at their own particular time. 
And then we've somehow got Travis Head, who seems to be excelling in these situations where we're two or three for 250 and he just comes in and makes batting look easy and really demoralises the opposition. Um, as you said, I mean, Kwaja really had to has had to work for his runs. I think he's he's faced over 300 balls and he's, he's striking at 53. And then Travis Head comes out there and strikes with 119. So... And that's an over double. So he's, he's a batsman. He's, he's making batting look alarmingly easy at the minute. And he's really just getting himself out. But it's I, I certainly can't remember a summer where the batting efforts have been this well-rounded. Classically, we've always been reliant on a two to three key batsman. But this has been a pretty good effort from the top seven. Yeah. And uh, really, from this domination, it's in many ways a, a perfect Australian summer. I've seen some discussions on uh, Twitter um, uh, talking about how one-sided the tests have been this summer and they're like, oh, you know, this must be bad for, for test cricket in, in Australia. But it seems to me that the crowds are getting better every test that we, we play. And I think it's because us Australians, we're not here for a contest. We're here for a, a, a domination. We're here for, Back for you know a highly touted team to come here and get ground into the mud uh, day after day. We're here for double centuries. We're here for the for the opposing bowlers losing all hope and and uh, yeah, we're 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 here for for whitewashes. And uh, I think definitely the mood at the the SCG today, um, even though it was an incredibly one sided match, it was uh, still uh, very jubilant. Um, watching some. Incredible batting. Um, although I did remark to you before we came on, um, even even having said that, and even though it is the sort of Australian way uh, for summers to go this way, um, and and it for for, to, for it to be more of a, a coronation than a than a cricket match at, at times, um, even I was getting a little sick of uh, uh, and hoping a little bit for a bit more of a contest. And when Travis Head did come out there and just start. Uh, slashing away and coming off for 70 runs. Um, yeah, it was a, almost made a, a bit of a, a mockery of it. Um, so, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to the India series where hopefully will be a bit more of a challenge. Um, well, and it always is in India, um, to, to be fair. Final thing I'll ask, I don't know if you saw it. I didn't see it being at the ground, but um, apparently Ricky Ponting on Channel 7 did a, a segment on Steve Smith Um and his technique, uh, it was much spoken about in the West Indies series how he wasn't going back and across as much. Um, but they noticed today, um, and I think mainly through the whole South Africa series, he, he is going back and across more than he did for the West Indies series. Um, so did you did you notice this as well um, and an idea on why this could be? Yeah, it was pointed out on the Fox by the Fox commentators as well, actually. Um, is we we did see quite marked movement to the offside, particularly against Marco Janssen. Not not really much against the spinners, which was the case before as well. But uh, I did find it quite bamboozling initially. I think especially before the summer kick started, he says he's made these technical changes and he feels as good as ever. Am out playing some orthodox shots and batting pretty well. He hit a, a nice double hundred. And then in the last couple of innings, the commentators the commentators have mentioned he's felt you know, maybe he's having a, a harder time of things, but 
I mean, he, he looked he looked pretty good today, and the, he gets himself in good position in good positions either way. I think the the sound that some of those cover drives give off is is one of the great beauties of cricket. Um, and I I don't really understand the the rationale behind it all, but I'm I'm sure he's thought this through. It, this might be a factor of only sleeping two hours a night and having impaired decision making, but. <laughs> On the other hand, he might have some conscious plan against Marco Janssen to mitigate the angle because I think left arm around the wicket is a an approach that he hasn't been as prolific against. Um, but it, it, se- it seemed to work out reasonably well today. I think it's it's probably an advantage that he can go in between the modes because it's even harder for teams to set fields against him. But as long as it doesn't throw out the, the balance, um, I, I'm, I'm sure there's some rationale behind why he's doing it and to me he did he he didn't look too bogged down and i was pretty impressed with the stroke play that he managed um particularly after he got to about 30 or 40 and he seemed to really go up a gear and make a, a pretty easy time of it yeah i think it's a bit of organized chaos with with steve smith but i was looking at his wagon wheel and um he did definitely target uh the leg side boundary and sort of behind square I compared it to his 200 in Perth and it was more there. Um, so that sort of suggests a reason of, of backing, going back and across to, to get across and uh, work it off the legs. So perhaps that was the thinking. Um, but uh, yeah, another great innings uh, from him. And I think someone on, on Twitter again mentioned that something that sets him aside from the next level of batsmen um, in world cricket and gives him the extra edge is that even when he's not in super good form um, at the start of his innings and looking quite scratchy. He somehow finds a way. Uh, it was a bit the same uh, in Melbourne. He looked even worse in Melbourne, actually, and didn't quite make the century, but still made a very good score. And uh, today, um, just by being out there and facing balls, he seemed to find fluency. Um, and, yeah, it was as good a Smith innings as you could see for the, the second half of that, definitely. Okay, well, this podcast is going on for a while, so we best wrap it up soon. But, well, unfortunately, I don't know how much action we're going to get tomorrow, actually. I think the, the radar is not too good for it. But uh, if we do get a day, what do you expect? Um, I'm guessing a declaration just as soon as Kawaja makes a century um, and then then just uh, trying to, to rapidly get them out. Would uh, you think that would be the way? Yeah, well, I've just googled it, and it, it seems as a it says a hundred percent chance of rain. So oh no, that that's varying between eighty and ninety five percent. So that's not look, not looking too good. I think given that it's day three and that we might lose a chunk, Australia might just try and bat once this test. From what we've seen, probably five hundred, five fifty should be enough. I reckon we. I reckon we'll we'll bat a little bit, and then if we do lose the bulk of the day, maybe we declare late in the day, or maybe just at stumps on on day three and have two days in South Africa tomorrow. But yeah, definitely Kwaja to if he well, they'll give him the chance, and maybe a good to give Matt Renshaw a couple of balls as well. This would be a quite painful Test match if we declare with him having faced fifteen balls and having sat by himself playing cards with himself uh, for the round. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, incredible scenes out there today on, on Matt Renshaw as well. I'm sure you saw the the umbrella he was holding. He was just on a on a seat by himself, looking very lonely, holding up an umbrella. Um, yeah, a bit bit bizarre, um, to be honest. Uh, especially in your first match after I think five years, uh, not exactly what you want. So yeah, let's hope yeah. Renshaw gets some some runs tomorrow. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure they yeah. It's hard to know what they'll do because you're right. I guess, yeah, if we're going to bat only once, probably safe to put on a few more runs. But um, I've got a feeling they might declare a bit bit earlier, just almost straight after Kawaja and sort of try and move the match match on a bit. But we'll wait and see on that. Fingers crossed um, we do get some play. Okay. Anyway, thank you, Ethan. Um, when are you off to Sri Lanka? Uh, 16th. So oh, I've got a... Wake in a bit more, yeah. Oh, very good. Uh, plenty of time to watch some more great uh, Zach Crawley innings for the Hobart Hurricanes. Uh, 50 was it today? I'm sure Pearson will talk about that. Anyway, I'm sure our listeners were keenly watching that one as well. But for now, um, it's goodbye from us. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.